Amen. Children are being dismissed and we're opening our Bibles today. Well, more specifically, probably a better idea is if you would take the um, sermon summation, I'll call it, it's more than an outline. Um, if you'll take that and we're going to work through this together today, I think there is a, um, a need in our society uh, for a better understanding of the Holy Spirit of God. The reason I say this is because the Lord, in His wisdom, is the one who decided that it was important as the Father was in heaven and Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, it was God's idea to send the Spirit to this earth to dwell in the hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls. He prophesied about it through the book of Joel. We read that in the Bible. It was fulfilled in Acts 1. We're talking about a subject here that is of great importance for for everyone really, but especially for Christians. And I might mention Christians of any stripe, flavor, denomination, the Holy Spirit of God is, if you are a Christian, should be something that all of us are extremely interested in because it is His presence in us that leads, guides, comforts, directs, and so forth. And we need Him. We need Him. He is the air I breathe. He is my daily bread. We cannot make it without the Spirit of the Lord. Somebody says they're a Christian and they don't have the Spirit of the Lord indwelling their life, they're not a Christian. The Bible says that. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You need the Spirit in your heart, dwelling in you, regenerating you, and helping you. So, we're going to work through in a summary form the work, uh, person and work of the Holy Spirit today and spend some time also on that particular topic about speaking in tongues. Now, before I I actually jump into this, I would like to give somewhat of a a personal disclosure so that you'll know some things about me uh, and what I believe before I even begin. Number one, I would like to share with you unashamedly that I believe the Bible. Anybody in here believe the Bible? I'm a Bible believer. I hope you are. Number two, I believe in what the Bible teaches about speaking in tongues. Amen? I believe that. I I have no right to change it. I have no right to try to eliminate it. If the Bible teaches it as a um, an individual with the call of God on my life... It is my responsibility. My my allegiance is not to a church. My allegiance is to God. My allegiance is to his word. That's where my commitment lies. So today as we go through this, the main reason that I have provided this summary for you and given you the scriptures that you can see with your own eyes is to help you understand and to also be a a confirmation to me and my preparation that what I'm sharing with you today is biblical and it is sound and it can be supported by scripture. 
So with that in mind, we're going to take a little trip. Some of you will not hear a thing today that you've not heard before. You already know this. Some of you don't know it. Some of you know parts of it, but not other parts. If this is, this is so very important to understand whether you are a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, a Pentecostal. It's important to understand what the Bible says about the Spirit of God. Now, I will tell you this. In my life, in my personal experience, number one, uh, you may ask, well, Pastor Ron, do you speak with tongues? Uh, yes, I do, occasionally. With me, it's not generally when I'm up front because I have a personal conviction that the Bible says, the Apostle Paul said this, the Apostle Paul said he was personally a preacher himself. He said, I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Amen? So therefore, when I'm preaching, I'm, I'm going to be speaking in a way that you can understand. That's the way I understand the Bible. Paul laid it out pretty plainly when he said that. I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So if I were to stand here before you in a sermon and speak in tongues, it wouldn't benefit you because you wouldn't understand what was being said. That is a biblical principle. However, when most of the time with me, it's in my car, maybe in the boat when I'm fishing and I'm by myself and I'm praying, sometimes I will find myself praying, as some people say, in the Spirit. I will be praying in in a language that I don't understand. I'm not loud. I'm not waving my arms. I'm not screaming. It's just that these words come into my mind, and I recognize, I have learned over the years, that is the the confirmation, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to me, that he is with me now. It happens often when I'm preaching, I can hear, I can feel that confirmation. I can, in my mind, I'll hear the, as the Bible calls it, the utterance, but I won't, I won't share it in a congregation because I know what it is. It's the Lord saying, I'm with you, buddy, go for it. And so I don't need to say it. I don't need to repeat it. But sometimes if I'm by myself and I'm praying and nobody there but me and God, sometimes I will verbalize those things and pray in the spirit. And I find out sometimes it's very, very helpful and meaningful to me. Paul talks about that. He says, I, I pray with understanding and I pray in the spirit. He said, I sing and with understanding and I sing in the spirit. So that is something that is biblically solidly supported. Uh, so let's work our way through this. I wanted to dispel some of your, uh, if you wondered where I stand, I think I pretty well laid it out where I stand. Now, I believe in what the Bible says. The, the person of the Holy Spirit, as we look at this in the scripture, the first mention of the Spirit of God is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That means that you don't have to go very far in the Bible to read about the Spirit. Amen. If it's in the first chapter, the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then the Bible says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So if you want to know something about the Spirit, you can learn something very important right there. He was there in the beginning. Do you know why he was there in the beginning? Because he's God. 
as we're going to see in just a few moments. So the first mention of the Spirit is in Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter in the Bible. The last mention of the Spirit, believe it or not, is in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible, near the last of the ver- that chapter, it says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is drawing people to himself. The church, the bride should be doing the same thing, pointing people to Jesus. The spirit and the bride say come. So from the first chapter to the last chapter, the spirit of God is at work. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever read your Bible, you're going to find out that at all points in between, the spirit of God is actively busy and doing things as revealed in scripture. Literally from Genesis to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is prevalent. He... And I'm just pretty well reading this as I go through. You can follow along with me. He, not what? It. We should not refer to the Holy Spirit as it. How would you like it if I said, you're it? Or I talked to somebody and I talked about that it. Didn't even call your name, just called you it. That would be somewhat degrading, wouldn't it? The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All are persons. The word Trinity is not found in Scripture, but is a word that has been adopted through history to refer to the triune nature of God as revealed in the Scripture. You remember when Jesus was baptized? Where was Jesus? When Jesus was baptized, where was Jesus? In the water. Jesus was in the water. But then the Bible says, a voice spake from heaven saying, this is my beloved. Who would say that? The father would. And then the Bible says there appeared, uh, the spirit appeared as a dove and came and lit upon Jesus. So even there, many places in scripture, you see this, but there you see, you see the father in heaven, you see the son in the water being baptized and you see the spirit descending like a dove. So what we're talking is not some strange, weird doctrine here. This is something that all Christians for the most part believe that is the triune nature of God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. So that we can say When we get to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, for instance, we can absolutely say with uncertainty, because the Bible says this, he says that the Spirit is God. Let me share it with you. You can go back and read it. You have the reference. In the early church, the the Spirit of the Lord had been moving and people were feeling generous and drawing near to the Lord and loving one another and... The Bible says that they began to sell some of the things that they had and bring it to the church and give it so that those who had excess would sell things and bring it. And then it would be distributed to the people who uh, needed things. We've done the same thing. We'd find out somebody had needs and we'd ask for an offering. People would bring money and we'd go give it to a family who was in need and so forth. Well, evidently in the early church, this became quite a process Um, you know, giving is a really important thing when you're giving to the Lord. And the Bible tells us when you give, you're really not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is to say that when you give, you don't give for show. 
You know, you don't pull that $100 bill out of your pocket and yawn and stretch a little bit and wave it so everybody can see it before you drop it in the offering plate. You don't talk about it when you go home. Nobody needs to know it but you and God. You put it in there. It's an act of worship. So the Bible says that this particular couple, a man and his wife, Ananias and Sapphira, they bought to the church one day an offering. What they did was they sold a piece of property. Let's say they sold it for $100,000. We don't know. They they didn't have dollars and cents, but I'm going to use this as an illustration. Let's say they sold this piece of property for $100,000. Ananias looks over and Sapphira says, you know what? We could sure use some of this. She says, yeah, let's keep half of it. They agreed. So then they took that $50,000 instead of the $100,000 to the church and gave it as if they sold the land for $50,000. In other words, they tried to make their sacrifice look big because we gave, we sold our land for $50,000 and here it is. They didn't sell it for $50,000, they sold it for a hundred. They pocketed half of it and gave half of it away. Now, here's the thing. They didn't have to give any of it. They didn't have to give half of it. It wasn't required. The problem was they were lying. They were misrepresenting what was happening. So when they walked in, Peter, filled with the Spirit, looked at him and said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Did everybody say lie? How did Peter know they were lying? The Holy Spirit told him. I tell you what, you better not mess with the Holy Spirit. And he looked at that man and said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? While it was yours, wasn't your own. You could do what you want to with it. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to give anything. But you have contrived with your wife this scheme to make yourself look good. To get a pat on the back for being so generous. You gave half the money. You didn't give it all. But yet you're pretending you gave it all. Behold, you're going to. And he dropped dead right there. Read it. Acts chapter 5. He dropped dead and they took him out. A couple hours later, his wife comes in the door, Sister Sapphira. She came in probably feeling pretty good about herself. Thought, boy, everybody's going to be patting me on the back because we, we gave an offering this morning and, and, you know, they're going to be patting, tell us what a good job we did. Walked in and Peter looked at her and said, did you sell the land for so much? Did you sell it for 50,000? Yeah. Peter said, behold, those who carried your husband out are getting ready to carry you out. And she dropped dead. If you want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, we could go a lot of different places, couldn't we? But I told that story to tell you this. The Bible says that first of all, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And then later in that passage, he said, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. So the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. The work of the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In Revelation 22, verse 17, the Spirit is inviting all to come. Scripture is replete with examples and activities and workings of the Holy Spirit. We shall list just a few. Number one, if you got your Bible, would you just hold it in your hand? Listen, the Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
The book that you hold in your hand was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that a bunch of men got together and decided to write these words. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words. So one of the important things we need to understand about the Holy Spirit is, according to 2 Peter 1.21, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, Samuel said to Saul, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. I've always loved that scripture since I read it. Can you imagine that? The prophet said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be another man. You're not going to be like you used to be. Do you realize that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're going to be a changed person? That's why the Bible says old things are. All things have become. He's going to change you when he comes in. He's going to change you when he comes in. And then the Lord said to Samuel. Talking about King David, who was just a young boy at the time. Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So there were times, even in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of the Lord would come upon this person, would come upon this person, this king, one of the judges. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon people and and move upon them, and they would have extraordinary wisdom, extraordinary power. They'd be able to do things that they weren't able to do before. But these types of things were sporadic, and you know, one here, one there. A few years later, this one and that one, it didn't happen every day and it wasn't available to everybody. These visitations were sporadic and specific to a time and situation, not general and continuing. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to understand that there was going to be a shifting of gears. There was going to be, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, perhaps a paradigm shift. Things changed. There was a promise of that. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel 2, 28 and 29. And then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, here's the fulfillment. This was the promise of the Father that they were seeing there. And this passage from Joel 2 was used by the Apostle Peter to show the people that something very, very significant had happened on that day. Amen? It was a special day, a fulfillment of a promise that God had made that there was going to come a time when things were going to change. The Holy Spirit has always been around The Holy Spirit has always been working, but there's coming a time where the Spirit of the Lord is going to be poured out on the earth and men and women, boys and girls, all flesh are going to receive and be benefited by the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Before I go any farther, could I just pause right here and tell you that in my life and ministry, I have known a lot of people who have received the spirit in his fullness. 
I, I don't want to make this all about speaking in tongues because I'm going to tell you right now that when we talk about the Spirit of God and His work, speaking in tongues is not a big part of it. It just is not. Biblically, it is not. And to, to our detriment, we have made it the big thing. Because whenever you tell somebody, for instance, do you attend a Pentecostal church? Well, yes, we do. Oh, y'all believe in speaking in tongues. That's the only thing they think about. They don't think about all the other things that, that the Bible teaches us that's really important about speaking in tongues. They take one little slice sliver of the pie and they make it all about that. And, and to, I think to our detriment, we've allowed that to happen. I'll promise you speaking in tongues is not the major thing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to prove that from scripture today. Some people want to make that the major thing. It is not the major thing. It is a biblical thing. We're going to see that, but it's not the major thing. The witness of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, under that heading, the witness of the New Testament is that being filled with the Spirit is life-changing, ongoing, and accessible to all followers of Christ. You believe that? The witness... Of the New Testament is that being filled with the Spirit is life-changing, ongoing, and accessible to all followers of Christ. We've talked about, in previous weeks, we've talked about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm thankful for conviction. I'm thankful that the Spirit of the Lord will come into your heart and mind and make you miserable when you sin. He don't just let you go your way and do your own thing. He's going to make sure if, listen, if you're, if you're a born again Christian and he's come into your life and you start doing wrong, he's going to tell you you're doing wrong. He's going to convict your heart. And I'll tell you something else. If you keep persisting in that sin and persisting in that sin and he's no longer speaking to you about it, that's a time to get concerned. You better turn around and come back home. Get your, get your heart and your mind hardened against the Holy Spirit is a terrible thing. He convicts of sin. He is active in salvation, being born of the Spirit. In other words, I'm giving you the scripture references there. You can read those later. The Bible talks about sanctification of the Spirit. The Bible talks about being baptized or filled with the Spirit. The Bible, I left a scripture off there, but most of these we're talking about could be plugged in right there. The fruit of the Spirit. It's talked about in Galatians 5. We'll talk about that in a moment. The gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Signs that follow believers, Mark 11. We may even have time to read that. The Bible talks about how we should live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. We should pray in the Spirit, sing with the Spirit. All these passages I'm giving you here because, listen, my goal today is to to make it so that we will have a well-rounded understanding of the Spirit of God. Because it is tragic if all people think the Holy Ghost is about is speaking in tongues. That is tragic. It's more than tragic, it's a travesty. It's an insult, in fact, to think that all the Holy Spirit is about is speaking in tongues. All of these things are being talked about here that the Spirit does. We're going to delve into some of them. The power of the Holy Spirit is great, folks. Massive. The Bible says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If the Father's in heaven and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, 
He who is in us is who? Spirit of God. Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, think about it now. Don't, don't let this get away from you. God is, we know God is in heaven. When you pray, you pray. Our Father which art in, I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Now, when it comes to Jesus, we really can't spiritualize Jesus. Jesus has a body. Jesus is a man. Jesus hung on the cross. After the cross, he appeared to his disciples. Then he ascended to heaven and they saw him go away. Am I right? The Bible says he's gone away, but the Bible says he's coming again. Jesus, even though he's the son of God, took on flesh. Don't forget about the baby in the manger and who Jesus is. He died on a cross. Jesus has a body. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. So who is here? The spirit. Jesus said, if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. So it's the spirit who is here now with us. And Bible says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, it was Jesus who said, I'm going to go away. And after I go away, you're going to be better off then than you are now with me with you. I have been with you. I'm going away. When he comes, he's going to be what? In you. He's going to be in you. How many understand the spirit of God dwells in you? Amen. He does. And he's powerful. How many spirits are there anyway? There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. I've highlighted in that verse of scripture, one spirit. The spirit of God, I'm continuing reading here. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of truth, The Holy Ghost, the Greek word pneuma can be translated spirit or ghost. All that I've just read there, they all are one and the same. It's one spirit. You say, how can that be? How can the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord, as a matter of fact, some people would say, how in the world? That's impossible. How can three be one? Well, let me just give you, listen, we're talking about God here and nobody can explain God. Amen. None of us can explain God in, in, a, in its fullest extent. He's, he's, he's infinite and we are finite. How are we going to explain him? But one illustration, I think my favorite illustration to understand how three can become one is this. Joy, bring me that bottle, please. Right there beside you, that bottle. Yeah, your bottle. Don't worry, I'm not going to drink it. What's in this bottle? Water. H2O. What form is it in? Liquid. If I put it um, in the freezer, what form is it going to be? That liquid turns into a solid, right? If you put this liquid on the stove and turn the heat up to about 300, what's it going to be? It's going to be a vapor or a steam. It's all the same thing, isn't it? 
It can be liquid. It can be vapor. It can be a solid. It can be frozen. That's kind of the way it is. You might want, if you need it, you can come get it. That's kind of the way it is with the Lord. It's, it's all God, but He has chosen, He has chosen to reveal Himself in these three different ways as Father, Son, and Spirit. I, I don't think it's anything that we should doubt and be confused about. So when we read about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of truth, it's all the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, they're all one and the same. There's only one. The Holy Spirit will be differentiated from other spirits in Scripture by the capital S. There is only one Spirit with the capital S, but there are many spirits with a small s. In other words, could be evil spirits. You know, if you've read the New Testament, you'll read where sometimes Jesus went to somebody and cast the spirits out of them. Right? That's not the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit in Scripture is generally capitalized, and that lets you know we're talking there about the third person of the Trinity. Bible page 3, speaking in tongues. At Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 4, the Bible says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the wonderful works of God, verse 11, with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the words, the utterance. Note that this was a Jewish gathering in Jerusalem. Now, we don't probably have too many questions about what happened on Pentecost because we've talked about it hundreds of times over the years. And you've talked, you've heard it talked about many times. Pentecost was a brand new day. Something brand new was happening that hadn't happened before. If you understand that, would you say amen? Now, if I were to ask you, why was it a brand new thing and a brand new day? You know what most people are going to say? Because they spoke in tongues. No! (laughs) That's not the important thing that happened then. Before that day, Jesus did not dwell in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. He wasn't there. He wasn't indwelling them. This was a special significant day, not because of what we have come to refer to the Pentecostal side of it. That's part of it. But what about, what about conviction? What about all these other things that the Spirit does in our hearts? Being reborn again, being regenerated, and being sanctified, and the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts. What about all these things? It's not all about that initial thing that happened there that drew so much attention. What happened on that first day, you know what, they were, they didn't have a clue what to expect in the upper room. They had, they had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen him put in a tomb. They didn't know what to expect. They were, they had a lot of questions in their minds. Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he turned around and said, but don't go now. Go into Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. So now they're in the upper room and they're praying together and they're trying to sort this all out in their mind. They're praying. They're talking. And the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, they were in one mind and one accord. And then, and then, what's the next word? And then, suddenly, and then suddenly this fireball comes in and this rushing mighty wind and they're all doing like this. What in the world is going on? 
And then they found themselves doing something they had never done before. What were they doing that they had never done before? They were speaking in languages they had never learned. We love to go to um, the Mexican restaurant in Roseville, eat sometimes. And when I go in, a lot of times and sit down, one of the waiters will come to the table and I'll say, hola. And they say, hola. I'll say, como se llama? Oh, then they start rattling off all kinds of things in Spanish. And then they look at me for a response. And you know what I say? Taco Bell. Because I have already exhausted my Spanish with hola and como se llama. Hello, what is your name? That's it for me. But you know, on that day, on that day, the Spirit of the Lord gave them the words to say that visitors who were in town spoke different languages so that when they began to speak with these, we call it tongues, the word is translated languages. When they began to speak these languages, all these people from different parts of the world looked at them and said, what is going on? These are people, these are locals. They don't speak our language, but they were speaking that language that day. And the Bible says all of them who were gathered there heard them speaking in their personal languages the wonderful works of God. And they knew something big was happening. Well, something big was happening. But it wasn't all about the tongues because Peter stood up and preached this coward, this betrayer, this who just just days ago had had let the Lord down big time as far as the way we would look at things. And he stood up and preached that sermon and said, these are not drunk as you suppose to be at the third hour of the day. This is a fulfillment of what Joel prophesied in Joel chapter two. And remember, he pointed his finger at them and he said, you crucified him. You slew him. And the Bible says as a result of his preaching, they were cut to the heart and said, what must we do to be saved? And then they responded to the invitation that was given, the open door that Peter opened for them. And the Bible tells us that 3000 people came to the Lord that day. Could everybody say power? It wasn't about the tongues. It was about the power. It's still not all about the tongues. It's about the power. Still, if we got as half as excited about casting out devils, healing the sick, and having the power of God in our lives as hearing somebody speak in tongues, we'd be way much farther down the road than we are. That's the truth. But somehow or another, we have been kind of, we have, we have, it has become, listen, you've heard the phrase, keep the main thing, the main thing. We haven't kept the main thing, the main thing when it comes to the, to the person and the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've allowed a, a sliver of the doctrine that is true. We've allowed that to replace all the good basically that, that comes to us as a result of this. Well, it was a Jewish gathering. We need to move, move on. In Acts chapter 10, there was a, Historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this time on Gentiles. Now, the first time in Jerusalem, it was Jews. Wait just a minute. 
Some of you Bible scholars tell me how the Jews felt about the Gentiles and the Gentiles felt about the Jews. What'd you say? They didn't like each other. As a matter of fact, it even went farther than that. There was some, some real feelings and some hatred there. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews. There was a real problem there between them. And here we see that the, that the Jews have received the Holy Spirit. And when we turn into Acts chapter 10, it's the Gentiles in Caesarea, the Jews in Jerusalem, the Gentiles in Caesarea. And the Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that is the Jews who believed, they were astonished. They couldn't believe believe what they were seeing as many as came with Peter this group of Jews who had gone down there to the Gentiles why were they astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God wow so now it's not only a Jewish phenomena now it is a Gentile phenomena and now everybody as the scripture had said Man or woman, young or old, it didn't matter. God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. I don't know if I said this a while ago. I started to, but I don't, ever, I don't believe I ever got to it. I have known in my lifetime, in my ministry, I have known Baptist people who spoke in tongues. I have personally known Methodist people who spoke in tongues. I have even known Catholics who spoke in tongues. Listen, when the Bible says, when God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, he means it. If he can find a person who's willing hearted to come to him and repent and receive Christ in his heart and walk in the light to the best of his knowledge and do what God says, then, then the spirit of the Lord indwells them. And if they grow in that, if they mature in that, then they just might find themselves acting Pentecostal every now and then. And there's not a problem with that. But here's the other side of the coin. I mean, just a good place probably to throw this in. I learned this years ago when I was still in school. By school, I mean Bible college, our church college. And I learned while I was there that surveys had been done. And it didn't matter where you went. If you went to the Assembly of God or the Church of God or the Pentecostal Holiness Churches, all these churches that are labeled Pentecostal, do you know how many of the people on average in those churches speak in tongues? 50% or less. Now we would think, well, everybody's doing it. No, everybody's not doing it. Not even in the churches where it's, where it's taught. 50% of, listen, I, I'm 62 years old. I've been in the same church all my life. I have known people that I know for a fact loved God, were committed to him, would give their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've never heard him speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not a measure of how, how spiritual you are. Dare I say what I feel like I want to say? I have known some people that did speak in tongues often that I don't even believe were saved. They sure didn't act like it. They lived all kind of ways. So speaking in tongues is not the measure of where you are. Oh, Lord, help me today. 
It is not the measure of how spiritual you are. I'll tell you what the measure of how spiritual you are is this. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness. And that's, that's the measure. That's the yardstick. The Bible says, by this shall all men know. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost today. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you speak in tongues. And we have so focused our eyes on that one slice of the pie speaking in tongues. And it has been taken to the extreme in some places. Listen, there there are places you can go and people will tell you who go to church and say they're Christians. They will tell you that speaking in tongues is of the devil. How many have ever heard that? Hands all over the place. I've heard that all my life. Non-Pentecostals, they've been taught speaking in tongues is of the devil. I'm going to tell you right now, speaking in tongues is not of the devil. No, it is not. But then I will also tell you that speaking in tongues is not the major thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not the big thing, not the major thing. So, as we continue, the Spirit came upon the Jews, the Spirit came upon the Gentiles. And then, here's a good one in Acts 19. This is the third time and last time. Did you hear me? Third time and last time in the book of Acts that people received the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. I'm not saying it's the only time. I say it's the last time in the book of Acts we read this. In Acts 19, Paul arrives at Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them. Now, first of all, let me pause right here. There have been times in my life when I I really did not grasp this scripture. I don't think I really grasped this scripture to this week. And I've read it many times. The word disciple simply means follower. A follower of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus, right? Follower. A disciple. Disciple is not a word that's always used about Christians. As a matter of fact, uh, I googled it this morning just to make sure I was right in my thinking. Anybody remember Charles Manson? He had disciples. Articles, I read articles where they referred to his followers as his disciples. Jim Jones, you remember him? Remember that nut had 900 people commit suicide? He had disciples. So when we read this scripture here, when we read the word disciples, don't think necessarily Christian. Just, just say it means followers. Now, having said that, the Bible says in Acts 19 that Paul arrives at Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so we think, oh, that means that these people were Christians. They have believed they've accepted Jesus. They've given their hearts to the Lord. That's not what happened here at all. The Bible says, 
did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was, they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Never heard of such a thing. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. John the Baptist. Now think about it. We're in the book of Acts. Jesus has been crucified, ascended to heaven. Go back into the time of Jesus' life, when Jesus hung on the cross, when Jesus gave his life, when Jesus performed many of his miracles. Where was John the Baptist? Try the grave. He had his head cut off, right? He was beheaded. The last probably two years of Jesus' life and ministry, John the Baptist was not even alive. But then we turn to the book of Acts and we find out that John the Baptist still had some followers. Listen, if John the Baptist died two years before Jesus was ever put on the cross, and they're still following John the Baptist's doctrine... And he wasn't there to share with them that it's the blood of Jesus that takes away all sins. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And that he wasn't familiar with all that. He couldn't explain all that to them ahead of time. Of course they didn't know anything about a Holy Spirit. They were following a teaching that was more attached to the Old Testament with a footnote of repentance. But as far as the rest of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the grace of God and all that that entails. And then later the spirit coming, which was, again, we've talked about was an unbelievably important event. But it happened after Jesus was crucified and gone. John the Baptist was not there for any of that. John the Baptist could not have taught them, explain that. He didn't know what was going to be happening. So here they were. A little now, and they weren't at they weren't at Jerusalem either. They were in Ephesus now, which was a thousand miles away, so to speak. Well, it was a thousand miles away by land. If you went by boat, it was about six or seven hundred. So I mean, it's a foreign country in those days. And here's a little pocket of people. Twelve, the Bible says, group of men about twelve, disciples of John. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I never heard of the Spirit. And then the word is preached to him. He shares the message of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And then the Spirit of God comes. And then the Bible says, And to John's baptism, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The word prophesied means to speak an inspired message. The other other passages we've already read talked about proclaim the wonderful works of the Lord. Now the men were about 12 in all. That's the three times in the book of Acts that it's recorded that people spoke in tongues when they received. This precious gift and all of them were monumental, extraordinary, historically important events.
Other than the above, what is recorded in the Bible about speaking in tongues can be found in the writings of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, first chapters 12 through 14. Now, admittedly, in this church at Corinth, there were abuses in this area of speaking in tongues. If you know what I'm talking about, would you say amen? There, there was, they were, they considered themselves to be a very spiritual group of people, but there were some problems there. And so he says to them, and, and the reason I come here is because when you talk to people about this subject of, of being filled with the spirit, tongues is inevitably going to come up. It's inevitably going to come up. Here's what Paul said to this group of people. And here's what people will say to you a lot of times. The opposite of what we're going to read here. People will say, well, Paul said that that, that was wrong. You shouldn't be doing that in church. Paul didn't say any such thing. Here's what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 39, do not forbid to speak with tongues. You want to know what that means? It means don't forbid people to speak with tongues. Don't tell them it's not for today. Don't tell them it's wrong. Don't do it. Don't forbid people to speak with tongues. So I might suggest to you, if anytime you hear somebody speaking in tongues somewhere, I'd be very careful in how you handle that because the Bible says don't forbid to speak with tongues. And this is coming from the man. By the man, I mean the Apostle Paul, the, the, the one who established these churches. The next thing he said was in 14, 18, he said, I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, those who want to tell you that speaking in tongues uh, isn't supposed to happen, they fail to read that part. Where Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. He goes on to say, he who speaks with a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Well, I think that's a pretty cool thing when you speak to God, don't you? But they make it a negative. He who speaks with a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. So if you do it in church and, 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 and get everybody listening to you and give yourself a platform by standing up and being loud and everybody's focus their attention on you and you're just rattling on in tongues, then nobody's going to understand what you're saying. It goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about preaching. Yeah, you, you might not share my personal opinion, but based on what I read in the scripture, I don't know that it's appropriate for a pastor to stand in a pulpit preaching and spend lots of time speaking in tongues. I think it's non-biblical because the people don't understand what you're saying. I would rather speak five words in a language people can understand than 10,000 in an unknown tongue, Paul said. He goes on to say, chapter 14, verse 5. Now, here's here's a really good one. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Y'all hear that? The Apostle Paul said, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But then, so as to keep abuse to a minimum, and because it was a troublesome church in some areas, to remain within biblical parameters and to be free of excess, Paul gives the following counsel for public worship. When you come together, When you come together. Could everybody say those words? When you come together. That's what he's talking about. In church service now. He says, he who prophesies. Now prophesy is saying something in a language that you can understand. It's an inspired utterance. 
Prophecy is an inspired utterance. If I stood to you, stood here this morning and went on for 30 minutes in German, likely nobody here wouldn't know what was being said. But to say it in a language that you understand, an inspired utterance is what he's talking about there that, that people can relate to. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks, speaks with tongues. Did y'all hear that? He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. He went on to say, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He says, if the whole church comes together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yes, they very well might say that. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and God. Let me give you an illustration of that. Back in Lexington, North Carolina, about 25 years ago, we had a wonderful crowd one Sunday morning. The church was full. It was a special occasion. I don't remember what it was, but it was a special occasion. Lots of people were there. And we had one of those times when someone stood up and spoke with tongues for a prolonged period of time. Loudly. Boldly. Everybody was listening. Everybody was quiet. Everybody had their attention focused on that person. And then afterwards, we sat there quietly waiting for an interpretation. We waited, we waited, and we waited. Nothing ever happened. So then we dismissed the service. And just like I always do here, usually, most of the time I'll go down the aisle or I'll slip around to the wall and walk out so I can greet everybody on the way out the door. I didn't get to the front door. I got about halfway down the aisle on my far left next to the wall. I got about halfway back and this lady grabbed me by the arm. And she says, I want to know what happened here today. She was not a Pentecostal. She was a Baptist. She said, I want to know what happened here today. Why was there no interpretation? And you talk about a pastor who was put on the spot. With everybody standing around. And she's wanting an explanation. Got a hold of my arm. The point I'm trying to make, folks, is that what we're talking about today is real. But it needs to be done, as Paul said, decently and in order. There are parameters. There are God guidelines. I have heard people, I have heard some of you, some who are in this building right now, have talked to me before and shared that they didn't want to go to a church that was like a three-ring circus. And they didn't want to be where people were swinging from the chandeliers. I know what they were saying. 
I feel the same way. We, we do disservice to the Holy Spirit of God and the work of God when we don't do things God's way. But we also do disservice to God when we, so to speak, to use a common slang term, when we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we say, well, we're just not going to do any, have anything to do with that because the Bible doesn't teach that. That, that is, that's one of the gifts that God has given. In His wisdom, one of the gifts that He has given to the church. Well, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can read that in your scripture. And I will tell you this, that the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, is actually a requirement. Oh, I didn't even read the last one, did I? Above. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become what? Like taking two trash can lids and clanging them together. I'm just a noisemaker. It goes back to what we said earlier. Speaking in tongues without the presence of the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life is agitating, aggravating, and disgusting. It just is. It's disappointing. People don't want to hear it. And then the gifts of the Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is there, out of that then can come what we read about. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of tongues, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things. Distributing to each one individually as he wills. So then, the Bible tells us later in that same chapter. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And every one of these questions call for an answer in the negative. No. No, all are not apostles. All are not prophets. Everybody's not a teacher. Not everybody works miracles. Not everybody has the gifts of healing. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not all interpret. Like I said before. Many, many people that I have known over the years and have the greatest admiration and appreciation for in their Christian walk. I have never, ever heard them speak with tongues. 
So here's what I want to say to you today. And I probably am going to get criticized, but I'll deal with it. I'm really kind of tired of people being made to feel like they're second class Christians. Because they've never spoken with tongues. They love God. They love Jesus. They're faithful. You can see the the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. But because you never hear them speak with tongues. Listen, I, I've, like I said, I've been around. I have been in, I have been in church services where I was the pastor and we had an evangelist. And the evangelist would ask everybody to stand and start praying in tongues. Now I gotta tell you, that rubs me the wrong way. And that's the evangelist probably that I won't have again who would do something like that. That rubs me the wrong way. And, and I know in every church I have pastored, every church I have pastored, and there's only been four in 37 years, but everyone I have pastored, I have had people in that church that love God with all their heart and had been made to feel terrible, like they were second-class Christians because they had not spoken with tongues. But they, they bore witness to the fruit of the Spirit a lot of times more so than the ones who were speaking in tongues. Here's, here's what I want to say, and we'll bring this to a close. Let's, let's just jump to the top of the next page. Isn't it ironic that the very thing given by God to us to empower us and enable us toward effective outreach and evangelism Talking there about the Holy Spirit. That biblical, thoroughly biblical gift and doctrine. Isn't it ironic that that blessing that the Lord has provided for us in his wisdom has become the source of the greatest rifts in the contemporary church? Isn't that a shame? The Lord has given the Holy Spirit to bring us together. The Lord has given... given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be what he wants us to be. And on the one extreme, you've got people who don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit, period. And it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates us, convicts us, sets us apart. They don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit because somewhere down the line, somebody blew it and made it all about tongues. I'm going to say it one more time before I quit. It ain't all about tongues. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is real, precious, provided by God. On the other side of the equation, you've got people who think that if you haven't spoken in tongues... You're really not where you need to be with the Lord. I reject that as well. The Lord knows who are his. He knows who are his. 
As the Spirit of the Lord works in our lives, listen, some people shout, some people cry, some may speak with tongues. But however the Lord works in your life, and however in your personality you choose to worship Him, the only thing I can say is, within the parameters that we've described today from the, the Word of God, one of my most vivid memories, mom and dad are going to be shocked by this, that I had such a memory. I can remember when dad was pastoring a church in North Carolina. I'm 62, so it had to be 55, 56, 57 years ago. I was a little boy, little boy. And I remember there was a woman in that church. I remember her name right now. I can still call it. And she would stand up and she would speak in tongues and it was habitual and it was loud and it was, and that, that still stuck in my mind. Even then I knew something wasn't right about that. All of us have seen things like that. But listen folks, don't let the abuses and the people who didn't use wisdom Don't let that color your mind or poison your thinking about the greatest relationship with God you could ever have. The communion. Would you say communion? The communion with the Holy Spirit. Read the last verse in 2 Corinthians. The love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? We are one in the Spirit. We are one with the
Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you what? If you have love one to another. Amen. We have several prayer requests. Um, um, Brother Tony's traveling. I don't know if he should be home now or not. You think so? Or is he still still on his way home? Brother Tony's traveling from an event yesterday he was involved in and... um, Chris Bradford's in Chicago this weekend with job-related stuff, traveling and couldn't have several families away at the at the coast and that type of thing. A lot of people moving around and and traveling, so please be in prayer for them. The safe travels, and also we have people who are sick. Um, uh, Beth called this morning right before church time to gather here, and she's not well. So um, I'm going to give you the opportunity as usual, usual to share your request, and then we're going to pray for all these needs together. So on my far left here, anybody in this section? Unspoken? Okay. Our seniors, yes. Family members? Unspoken request. I'm sorry? Francis Barnes, yeah, is not feeling well today. Any others? Patricia? Unspoken. Liz will be traveling in the middle of the week. Okay. Jimmy? Can I have a second? Yeah. Um, as Pastor says, prayer works. Prayer is a mighty sword that we have. Um, several weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, we all we all the time pray for our grandkids for safety. Several weeks ago, our youngest grandchild, well, not our youngest grandson, was at home with his grandmother. And for some unknown reason, she's got to go somewhere and he won't listen, so she locks the door and leaves him in the house. Well, he's almost four years old. He unlocks the door and walks out into 264 Highway. Three cars go by him and almost hit him. The fourth car stopped and called 911. There was nothing there but the Holy Spirit upon our grandson protecting him from being killed. There was no other explanation. So if you got family in your life, pray for them. Whether they know God or not, Amen. prayers will cover them and keep them protected. Amen. And we pray for our grandchildren, we pray for our children, and we pray for our church family. So Amen. I just wanted to share that. Thank you, Jimmy, for sharing that. Lisa? Joe's mom. Joe's mother. Let's remember that. Pastor Ron? Yes. Um, Brian's mom has stage four lung and liver cancer. She's got heart problems and she's she's basically given up and um mr boykin he's got his hands full trying to take care of her and run a family business and that family could use some prayer as well okay and my niece her ex-husband died yesterday so I'm going to now. right gene stanley's son todd uh we've been praying for his dad his dad passed away yesterday morning so if you would, please remember Todd and his family. I had one too, just like him. I was, I was with my neighbor's child the other day. He came down to see me and talked about it and had some things. We walked up to, to his yard and the wind was blowing real hard. And this family, I'm always praying for him because he had tall pine trees all around the house. The 
so every time a man comes up, I'm always praying for this, this, the Catholic family, and I'm praying for them. Well, I walk up in the yard with the, with, with the child, he's a little boy, he's five years old, and as we walk into the yard, a hard wind hits, and a great big limb comes out of the yard. I mean, just, it was limb here to the puppet standard for a, a long limb, and it comes and literally breaks around him, completely missing him on both sides of him. He had barkings here, and it missed him. <laughs> and it's only by the grace of God Amen. missed that child. <laughs> That's the ultimate share of that. Amen. That's wonderful. We love these testimonies. You have not because you ask not. Ask not. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we know that you understand our needs as they've been shared here today. Lord, the, the majority of the requests here today were unspoken. And I don't know what they were about, but you do. So, Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over every need that's been shared here today. If it's a, a spiritual need, somebody needs Jesus. If it's a financial need, they need provision. If it's a physical need, they need healing. Lord, any other need, you're just Lord over all and have the power and the ability to minister to every need we have. So, Lord, we're just a group of people here who love you and we cry out to you because that's what your word says we're supposed to do. As was depicted earlier in their service, we cast our care on you. We ask you, Lord, to minister to our needs. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In the hearts and lives of every individual here. Minister to these needs that have been shared. Give traveling mercies to those who are away. Vacationing, on business, whatever, it doesn't matter. Lord, keep our people safe, I pray. Lord, again, I ask your blessings upon Josh and safe journeys for him. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would minister to every need that we have. You understand them. They are many. Many have not been spoken. But you know all about him. You're a loving Heavenly Father. How grateful, thankful we are to be your children and to know that you love us. We ask these things today in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.